Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. That's what we're all about. We've been doing since the beginning of this show. This is episode 368, and we are three weeks into the new year of 2023, and I'm excited for that. I hope you are as well, and I hope that you have some big goals planned, some things that you want to achieve, and you have a plan to achieve those goals. There's a lot going on in the world and certainly a lot of uncertainty, and I always recommend that people really try to focus in on what are the things that they can control, what are the things that you can control, and try not to spend too much time worrying about everything else. So I, over the holiday break, went through the process of reflecting on 2022 and setting my own goals for 2023 and recently run some workshops, goal setting workshops for clients and members of our talent development think tank community to help them set their own goals for 2023. So I hope you've gone through a process like that to think about the goals that you want to achieve this year and you have a plan to achieve them. I can tell you that one of my big goals for 2023 is to host a successful conference. And of course, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard me talk about that conference. It's called the Talent Development Think Tank. And it's coming up very soon, just a few weeks away in February. And one of our main keynote speakers is Susan Schmidt Winchester, who is the SVP and CHRO for Applied Materials. Susan has over 30 years of HR experience, previously as CHRO for Rockwell Automation, and prior to that, multiple leadership roles for Kellogg Company. And Susan is our guest today on the Talent Development Think Tank podcast. This is her second time on the show, and I'm excited to bring her back. She is a National Academy of HR Fellow, the highest professional honor for HR leaders. She's a board member for the HR Policy Association, member of the Executive Committee, Peer Roundtable for CHROs, Vice Chair Leadership Advisory Board for the Dean of Engineering, University of Michigan, and Forbes HR Council member. And she is also the author of the book, Healing at Work, A Guide to Using Career Conflicts to Overcome Your Past and Build the Future You Deserve, which she wrote with Martha I. Finney. You can hear a little bit about that and more about Susan's background and especially her focus on competency models and suitability models in our previous episode that we recorded, which was episode 173 called Competency Models Out, Suitability Models In. That was published in May of 2020. And we had recorded that in February of 2020. And then it came out after the pandemic, you know, whole world had changed just in a span of a few months. And the world has continued to change since then. And in this conversation with Susan, I asked her about uh, how she sees things in the HR and business world these days. You know, how do you approach talking to people about a lot of the uncertainty that is going on in the world? We talk about 
taking backward moves to broaden and understand your career in HR and business, some of the HR trends that she is seeing. We talk about digital transformation, and uh, we go into detail on Susan's book, Healing at Work, which is a phenomenal work to really help people to overcome trauma from earlier in their life that is influencing workplace conflict today and how we can resolve some of that to work better with people at work. Susan will be speaking on this topic at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference on February 22nd, 23rd in Sonoma. And if you don't have your tickets yet, I would love for you to go grab those today and come join us because it's going to be a fantastic session and a fantastic event. All the information as well as information on our membership community and our podcast is at tdtt.us. All right. Thank you again for listening. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Susan Schmidt-Winchester, SVP and CHRO of Applied Materials. Enjoy. All right. I am joined now by Susan Schmidt-Winchester, who is the SVP and CHRO for Applied Materials. Susan, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so great to have you back. I remember I first interviewed you back in early 2020. Uh, the episode came out in May 2020. It was an uh, interesting time, an interesting timing, right, with that conversation coming out. And we talked a lot about your kind of passion around this idea of getting rid of competency models and moving towards suitability models. And we actually rebroadcast that episode recently on the podcast because it's been one of our most popular interviews and conversations we've had over the last four years. And I know you said you had people that reached out to you after that. And I know people that have been very interested in, in that. And so I'm excited to get you back on in general, because I know you are in a very senior HR position, very tapped into a lot of things that are going on in the economy, in the world and HR, but also because you are a keynote speaker at our upcoming conference, the Talent Development Think Tank, which I'm really excited about. I know. Super excited about it. I'm very much looking forward to that event. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. I'm excited to have you. And we are going to do a little preview of what your keynote is going to look like. But I wanted to start with you and some of the stuff you've been working on. And, and maybe you can just start with a, a quick background again of, I think you came up through more of a traditional HR type background to get to where you are today, right? Yep, that's correct. In fact, in January of next year, so just a few months away, I will hit my 35-year anniversary in HR. <laughs> and it's been an amazing career. I, I've had an opportunity to work in three Fortune 500 companies. Two of those companies, I've been the CHRO coming up. Actually, I just passed my 15-year mark as a CHRO. And I think I've done just about every job there is in HR. You know, I started in compensation, moved into an early HR journalist role, built a, a people services, shared services center for one company and worked in the talent organization. I, I pretty much, I think I've done pretty much everything in, yeah. in HR and then also did a stint for about three years in management consulting, which was also a great, you know, I had P&L responsibility. I had to go sell consulting services to customers and then, you know, manage the projects. And um, it's been an amazing, an amazing journey. So yes, I am. My middle name is HR. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> We were just talking about middle names. Yeah, 35 years in HR, so many different functions. I'm tempted to ask you like what's been your like least favorite and favorite things to do in HR, but I'm I don't want to, you know, get you in trouble. Well, I wouldn't say there's any least favorite because mm. you know, I think personally I feel like a pretty well-rounded HR professional. And I think every single part of the HR organization is important and key in in ensuring a foundation for the whole company. And I'm grateful for every step along the way that I've had. 
fact, I was thinking about it. The two, some of the two most important steps on my career were actually backward moves, taking smaller jobs in a different part of the HR organization to broaden my understanding of, of, of HR and the business. And so, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't have, when I think back about all the different jobs I've done, they've all been important on a journey yeah. to understand how HR works. I appreciate that you said that, that, you know, two of the most important steps you took were actually backward steps because one of the hottest topics that I hear coming up a lot, and, and part of it's because I'm so focused in on career development, right? And owning your career is a lot of people talking about career mobility. And when I speak with L&D professionals, they say, we really want our people to start thinking more creatively about their careers because the idea of the career ladder in in its traditional sense is kind of going away. We wanted to think more like a lattice and people moving around. And, you know, in theory, it kind of makes sense. But for a lot of people, it's hard to get past that. Like, no, I need to keep moving up. I can't take a step back because that would actually hurt me. And mm-hmm. you have experience in taking that step back and actually benefiting you. Yeah. yeah, actually. And I remember when I was at Kellogg's years ago, I interviewed a number of senior executives really trying to crack the code on what were the secret secret ingredient steps on their career paths that got them to the top of the organization. And the takeaway from those interviews was the, the key theme was the people who took jobs across the organization, no matter what the jobs were, benefited. They had a broader systemic view of how that organization worked. And so they could understand the consequences of decisions in one part of the organization on the other parts of the organization. So that was a key you know, insight. But even before that, I'd taken a step backwards, mainly as I was evaluating three different companies when I decided to move out of consulting back into a, a company, a corporation. I had three different offers that were given to me. I took the smallest job offer because in my view, the company I was joining was going to give me the greatest potential for growth. And it, that turned out to be like it wildly exceeded my expectations. Mm. And then the other backward move I took was going from a large HRVP position for a $4 billion business to taking a head of HR job for a $1 billion business, but getting the opportunity to go and do that in Europe. And so while my scope was smaller, I obviously was getting the benefit of the international experience, which is one of the key reasons why I was attractive to Rockwell Automation Mm. when they were looking at a new head of HR. So I, I don't, you know, I don't, a lot of people aren't going to believe this, but I don't really care much about the title. When I joined Applied Materials, my title was Group Vice President, uh, Head of HR. You know, I eventually became Senior Vice President, Chief HR Officer. But in my mind, I was the Chief HR Officer from the beginning. So, you know, the fact that the company has a certain set of titles they use for executives, it's like, that's fine. I, whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go be head of HR for a very cool company in the semiconductor industry in Silicon Valley. You know, I, I'm not going to get hung up on what the title is. Right. So that, that's my view. I, I believe me, I think those two steps were some of the most important steps I made. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear. And, and the title is going to vary in across different organizations and industries. Anyway, if you were in banking, you would have been a vice president 30 years ago, like your second year, right? (laughs) Exactly right. That's right. That's right. Sorry to those in banking, you know, just teasing, but I mean, everybody's (laughs) a vice president at a a bank pretty much, it seems like. When you think about HR at large, what do you think is one of the most misunderstood things about HR and HR professional or the the profession at large? Misunderstood? Um, I think it really depends on the HR organization, frankly. Mm. You know, I think it's it, it depends on who's 
leading HR. It depends on the individuals within HR. You know, if you've got a really super talented, high-performing, extremely capable HR team, I don't think there are a lot of, you know, mysteries about the impact that Mm -hmm. a really strong HR organization can have. I've also known organizations that had, you know, good people in HR, but they were more process, uh, HR process people, more HR compliance kind of roles. And, you know, so they're obviously in a situation where you have people in the organization where it's all about process and compliance, you know, the misunderstanding may be that, that, you know, that's all the expectation is. Whereas if you have an organization where your leaders expect you to be contributing to the success of the company, then I don't think you're misunderstood. I think you're viewed as a valued partner in helping the organization to progress its, its you know, its, its, its agenda in the marketplace. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. It's going to depend a lot on the people, the leadership, the culture, how strategic mm-hmm. they are, right. and how they approach okay. that that role. Also, you know, staying on HR in general, what do you think has changed in HR over the last couple of years? Obviously, you know, since you and I talked over two years ago, we went through a whole pandemic and everybody going home and lots of people coming right. back. I mean, obviously, many many things changed, but you know, over the last year or so. Lots of companies going in different directions as we reacclimate to this new world. What, what are you seeing? Well, I think, you know, obviously one of the biggest things has changed is, you know, stepping into a space where there were no rules. There was no, you know, what do we do in the past? So how do we design it for the future? You know, so what was different with the pandemic and, you know, the continuing external environment is there are just a lot of unknowns about what to do. And, you know, so I, th- I think that it, the requirement for the HR organization, which I think many HR organizations stepped up to, was being a leader in partnership with the, the business relative to how are we going to guide our company, given we have no idea what makes the most sense, except for that we want to keep people safe and healthy. You know, that is your guiding principle, then help guide all the decisions that we made. But I, I don't remember a time in my career where, you know, it was like all hands on deck Let's sit down and figure out all these new policies, how we're going to handle all these new situations. How do we do that in multiple countries around the world? So an intense time, a a time for creativity to try to figure out how do you how do you keep your company successful and your employees engaged at a time when everybody's distracted and worried about what's going on with the global pandemic? Yeah. So what I've noticed in the last couple of years is just, a, a you know, the, the need for the HR team to to be leading and guiding the conversations with the leaders relative to how are we going to navigate all these different uh, topics and, you know, creating closer relationships with the management team. We established our, what we call our people manager forums, where we just get on the, set up a manager forum call and anybody that's in a manager role around the world can dial in. And we would go through different key topics that were, you know, obviously important at the time and talk to our managers about here's how we're going to handle it. What do you need? What are the unanswered questions? How can we better support you? How do you support all the parents now at home that are trying to figure out how to navigate their jobs and kids that are not in school? So I think the last couple of years have been a time of tremendous ambiguity and creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And and changing so much. And it's up to everybody's interpretation, right? Like I said, different companies reacting and, and doing things differently. You know, staying on that trend, you talked about how do you help people through turbulent, changing times? We went through a period of a pandemic where everybody was sent home, lots of people were laid off, and then everybody got you know different jobs or jobs back. And then we went through what many were calling the great resignation and you know war for talent and and all of that. 
And now, as you and I record this in November of 2022, the latest news has been about layoffs from many tech companies, Meta and Twitter and Amazon and others, and entering a potential recession. And now you probably have lots of employees who are showing up at work every day, either physically or, you know, or technically, right? And they're starting to feel really nervous about the environment. How do you think about approaching that and, and communicating with employees and, you know, what can other HR and talent development professionals take away and, and think about approaching this? Well, let me talk at least initially about my own company and the, the industry. I work in the semiconductor industry. And so, you know, we saw the largest ramp in the company's history over the last, basically the last year and a half and, you know, hired a significant number of people to be able to meet the demand from our customers. And so we're in an industry that is intense and exciting because we're at the foundation of some major inflections that are happening globally. You know, so obviously the digital transformation, every company is becoming a digital company at the foundation of the digital transformation are chips. And our company is a company that makes the equipment that makes the chips. You know, so we are we are more needed than ever before Mm -hmm. that coupled with, you know, the world moving towards a net zero place, which has at its core digital transformation as well. And the reality is that the implications for HR organizations are as we transform our business models, as companies think about transforming business models to become, to meet the the expectations for a net zero, it's going to require new levels of innovation, new levels of leadership capability, new organizations. So there there are huge implications there. And then also thinking about the inflection where people want a more sustainable lifestyle and leveraging technology to create that, whether it's our smart homes that are all connected or smart healthcare. And again, you know, at the foundation of that are chips. So for us, things are definitely shifting. There's no question about that in terms of the external environment. The industry as a whole is very, you know, we're, I, I just don't see things causing us to go, oh my gosh, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're no longer needed. And so I'm very happy to be a part of of the semiconductor industry. I think generally speaking, you know, the organizations are kind of going through this phase of reacting to the external environment. There are a lot of factors. We don't need to go into all those right now. They're pretty obvious what those things are. Every company is going to have to make its own decision about how to navigate the turbulence, if you will. And, you know, our company, of course, is, is a company that always is thinking of smart ways about how do we ensure we retain talent, but also find ways that we need to, you know, we may need to slow down the kind of hiring, certainly, that we've been doing in the past. So, you know, I'm an optimist and, you know, I, I can't certainly don't have a crystal ball and can't predict the future. But I, I think that to do dramatic change right now, you obviously have to manage your company to be successful. You have to manage the financials and the expectations of the investment community. But I think more than ever before, we've realized that, you know, talent is critical. Mm-hmm. In the last, you know, year and a half, finding talent and, and hiring talent was challenging for everybody. Retaining talent was challenging. And when you look at mature markets around the world, the working age population is declining. And so while there is certainly a slowdown occurring right now, I think we're going to continue to see a a strong demand for great talent in the marketplace just because, you know, over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to have to really be thoughtful and strategic about managing the talent and bringing in talent and creating an environment 
that is differentiated differentiated from a competitive standpoint so that it's painful when people leave that you don't your people don't want to leave because they mm-hmm. like working for you so much so i still think that's a huge priority even though there's a downshift happening from an external climate standpoint yeah this is one of those important times when it's going to be different for every company in every industry but you see a lot of companies looking at, like you said, financial obligations to different stakeholders and shareholders and saying, we need to cut back. And yet at the same time, there's still sort of this war for talent. And uh, this is the time where you know finding, keeping, developing the right talent could make a huge difference for the next decade and, and more. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, our, our great opportunity is we've hired a number of people is how do we how do we ensure they feel connected to the company? How do we ensure that they feel like they can reach their full effectiveness, you know, and so that's our focus right now is time to effectiveness, creating more connectivity with our people and, you know, finding ways to create that, you know, we are a connected company and thinking about that through everything that we're doing. Mm. Before we move on from this, when you think about the the HR space and talent development in particular, are there any other trends that you're watching that you're particularly excited about? Well, I think one of the trends that I think is exciting, and actually I was just having a conversation with my one of my colleagues, and you know, he actually brought this up and I thought that's exactly right, is that, you know, people are looking for a personalized experience in their company, again, mm. a differentiated experience in their company. So how do you create personalized development for everybody in a meaningful way and do that at scale? I think that's a, a kind of an exciting question to be thinking about and asking about. I don't know the answer to that question right now, but I think that is definitely an emerging trend is, you know, that companies spend a lot of time and effort to bring in great talent. People come into the company, they want to have a, you know, they want career visibility, they want to be developed, they want to grow. How do you create personalized ways of doing that in scale and to be able to scale globally? I think that's a, a big opportunity and probably a bit of a challenge also. Yeah. And I think another, you know, I think about the long term and, you know, what are we doing today to prepare our leadership pipeline for the next 20 or 30 years? And thinking about all the inflections that I was talking about earlier, which affect a lot of companies, you know, how do we plan out and identify super talented, high potential people in our companies early in career? You know, so how do you create systems and processes around how to do that? And then how do you ensure career visibility so they don't ever want to leave because they see a they see a career path? Mm-hmm. And by the way, we have a lot of work to do in this arena. I'm, I'm, again, I'm saying these are the opportunities for the future. Yeah. And then how do we accelerate their career paths mm-hmm. and give them the right development experiences, like as we were talking about previously across the organization, so they understand the system so yeah. that we create this amazingly strong pipeline of future leaders for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And I would add, how do you make that whole process very inclusive, right? So that it's available to Absolutely. everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. That goes without saying, but you're hundred percent right to say it. Yeah. Thank you. So I want to move on and talk about your book, Healing at Work, a guide to using career conflicts to overcome your past and build the future you deserve. And we yep. talked a little bit about this in our last interview a couple of years ago, you published the book, I think in March, 2021, just a few months after I published mine. And we've kind of been on this journey together, keeping in touch. And I love what you've been doing with yours and the, the brand that you've built around it. I'm curious, yeah. when you think about an organization, why is this topic important? Well, the reason why this topic is important is because we all care about the mental wellness of our workforce and probably more focus on this topic than any other since the beginning of the pandemic. 
And as you know, it's been a huge theme for companies trying to make sure we're supporting our people in uncertain times. So healing at work is all about using the workplace, particularly workplace conflict, which my co-author Martha I. Finney and I call bumper car moments. Using workplace conflict literally is a laboratory for emotional healing and realizing that every single one of us shows up to the workplace. It's completely human to have reactions, negative reactions to sometimes things that are happening around us. But what we do in the book is we really help people unwind how much of our reaction today is influenced by how and and what experiences we may have had when we were younger. Because, you know, what's fascinating and it was kind of shocking to me is that at least two thirds of us indeed grew up in a dysfunctional home. And so looking at the effect of that and how that may be affecting us in unconscious ways in our workplaces, creating and leading to a lot of stress, anxiety and worry. How do we help people become conscious to those impacts and actually start to learn new skills and new ways of thinking so that we can have a much more positive experience in our workplace and our career. Yeah, it's so important. And something I've learned through my own personal development journey and going through seminars and reading books and talking to people is that we all have so much in our past that is impacting, has shaped kind of our model and view of the world and influences how we how we work, how we live, how we operate and talk to other people, how guarded we are, right? How we interact and how we react to certain situations. And I think what you're opening people's eyes to is that this can have a big influence on how people show up at work and how they interact with each other and how productive and engaged they are and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I I don't typically like to admit this, but I will because I do in the book too. But if you if you look at my resume, you would say, you know, that was a pretty amazing background. But what most people don't know about me and that background is that much of those accomplishments were fueled by my underlying limiting belief Mm. that I'm not good enough. And so I felt like the responsibility of determining my worth and value was the responsibility of those whom I was working for, particularly men in authority. And my job was to prove to them day in and day out that I was indeed good enough And so it was this negative dynamic, completely unconscious to me for, unfortunately, 30 years of my 35 year career Mm. of, you know, coming from a place of, you know, the limiting belief, which I unconsciously took away from me from my childhood. And by the way, this isn't about blaming parents or anything like that. That's not how I think at all. Nothing else I learned is that we almost all got messed up by our parents in some way or another, right? I'm sure, you know, as a parent, I'm I'm thinking, I wonder how much, you know, effect I've had on my sons in not so great ways. But the, the discovery in what we teach in the book is you can actually start to understand how sometimes your interpretation of things that are going on in the workplace are actually based on outdated scripts and beliefs that we had from the past, Mm. which unfortunately launches into old patterns and behaviors, which don't always work for us. You know, for me, you know, sort of my patterns of choice to try to prove myself were people pleasing and perfectionism. And, you know, those are those are characteristics that are well valued in the corporate world and can have detrimental effect on people's mental wellness and how they feel about themselves. And, you know, my way of coping with, you know, the the stress that I felt about never feeling like I was quite measuring up was, you know, to go home at night and put myself through a, a daily evaluation about how I did that day. Oh, shoot. I should have I should have said this in the meeting. Why didn't I say that? Mm. Oh, I can't believe I said that. What, what was I thinking? You know, it's constant, you know, 
review of what didn't work generally was the, the theme. And the way I managed that, you know, again, lots of high performing overachievers who are managing some of these same negative underlying things right. are using unhealthy habits to self-soothe. Mine, mine was Chardonnay was my habit. Mm. For others, it may be video games or shopping or eating or whatever to try to calm that nervous system that feels like it's in high gear every single day. And I have come to believe deeply that we can still be high achieving people and leaders in our companies without all the dysfunctional dynamics that go with living in what I call the unconscious wounded career path, where we are interpreting and reacting to things around us as a result of things that we learned when we were little. Yeah. Oh, so true. You Um, made a comment that nearly two thirds of professionals grew up in quote, dysfunctional homes. Could you maybe expound upon what that means or how you define that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So a number of years ago, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente did a study and they asked 17,000 adults in the U.S. And by the way, the study has been replicated in many countries. They asked those 17,000 adults to answer a survey and to indicate whether they had experienced one of 10 what they called adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs. And the study was led by two doctors. I think it was Dr. Anda and Dr. Felipe, if I'm not mistaken. And what the researchers found was that when they asked 17,000 adults to say, did you experience one or more of these 10 items? And let me tell you what the 10 items are. I won't be able to remember all of them, but these are pretty significant things that happen. Physical, emotional, sexual abuse, neglect, both emotional and physical, violence in the home, addiction in the home, incarceration of a parent, mother treated badly. I don't know if I have all 10, but you can see the really serious things that happen. And what the research showed was that nearly 67% experienced at least one of those 10, Hmm. 40% of people experienced two or more. And I think it was almost 13, 14% experienced four or more. And so, you know, that that's kind of an extreme view of dysfunctional background. That's a two-thirds number that I quote is that mm-hmm. research. But I also think that in addition to those 10 really horrible things that happen, unfortunately, to a lot of people, you know, still people have come up to me and said, well, Susan, I didn't experience any of those 10, but I still have limiting beliefs. I think growing up in a family where there's an overly judgmental or critical parent, totally. you can come up with some of these beliefs. I think there are a lot of other factors that can lead to us walking away from our childhoods with negative beliefs. But the research I quote is straight from that, that original research. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and and it may be more influenced by our peers and the people, the kids we grew up with at at school, right. Who were always picking on you or getting bullied. I mean, there's just so many factors. Absolutely. Growing up poor. Yep. Yeah, totally. Like wondering where the next meal is going to come from or, you know, having a teacher tell you that you're never going to succeed. I I can't, I am blown away by the number of stories I've heard from people who told me or said that they had a teacher that basically said you never amount to anything. Like what? who gets into the teaching profession to ruin somebody's dreams? Like it just... I know. I know. It's it's really shocking. But, and the reality is, is that, you know, when you grow up in those childhoods, your your brain changes, you mm-hmm. know, your brain reacts to stress. You're basically acting in ways that are normal to abnormal circumstances. You're trying to manage and create a sense of safety. And in, in my childhood, my, my dad, who is, I, he has many amazing traits. He's no longer living, but he had some serious issues with anger and rage. 
And, you know, so the, the reality is, is that my brain, my nervous system was constantly in a state of hypervigilance, waiting for when he was going to have a, one of his raging, you know, situations. And, you know, that it definitely causes your ner- nervous system and your brain to adapt and try to make changes to, to surviving in that environment, creating a sense of safety or security. And so what, what Martha and I are teaching in the book is actually how to become aware of how some of those old beliefs and responses are not really working for us in the workplace Mm -hmm. and are actually creating a lot of, a lot of negative experiences. How do you take those moments, those workplace conflicts in particular, which, you know, can cause a lot of negative triggered reactions on our parts and use those moments as catalysts for growth and change. That's exactly what we talk about. Yeah. What are some of those, what's an example of some of those bumper car moments, as you call them, the workplace conflict that is, you know, people react in one way based on their own background and limiting beliefs and how that could change? Well, there's a million examples. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, anytime we have a negative reaction to something at work, it could be something that someone else has done. Or we did something that caused somebody else to have a negative yeah. reaction. That, that causes email us from your boss that just doesn't appreciate yeah. the work you did or whatever triggers yeah, you. It could, be, it could be anything. It could be being interrupted in a meeting. It could be mm-hmm. uh, something that triggers somebody to have a negative response. It could be getting missed for a promotion when you think you were the most qualified person. It could be, I remember a situation where somebody was getting ready to present to a group and for whatever reason, there weren't a lot of people in the room at that particular time when the presentation was starting who got triggered because they they had a belief that they were being disrespected. Mm. You know, so it, it can be anything. Gosh, it's almost unlimited. Anytime right. you're having a negative emotional reaction to something happening, it could be uh, your boss looks at you in a meeting in a disapproving way, could be a bumper yeah. car moment which can send you into a spiral of, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You know, what did I do wrong? What do I need to do differently? And it creates that sense of, ah, you know, it's a physiological response of fight, flight, or freeze that immediately kicks in. Right. And and something I've learned through my own journey and my study of mindfulness and stoic philosophy is what's really interesting is that there is no such thing as good or bad experiences or moments or things that happen, right? It's all up to our own interpretation and our interpretation is based on the background that we have, the upbringing, what we've learned from other right. people. You know, right. is it offensive when people don't show up to the meeting, or is that just something that happened because other people got busy? Yeah, you know, I I have the privilege of working with an amazing personal coach. Her name is Celine DeCosta, mm. and she has a saying. She has a couple. She has many sayings, but one that I love is, "The most important story we ever tell is the story we tell ourselves." Mm. I really love because it exactly reinforces what you just said. And the other thing she said to me periodically when I'm worried or upset about something is, Susan, you're drinking your own toxic cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I'm interpreting the situation through my lens, which is shaped by my past. And I'm interpreting it in this really negative way that's causing me to feel all this angst and worry when you're right. It's just the story that I'm telling myself through my old lens my outdated scripts of what I took away from the past that is causing me to have this interpretation that's actually causing me more stress. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. And when people open, wake up to this, right, from reading your book or many other resources that are available, it's amazing when your eyes open and you're like, oh, I don't have to react this way. This is based on my own you know, interpretation, my own background. Like other people don't necessarily react this way. It can be an absolute game changer. 
Yeah, it's, it, no question. In fact, I'm having a flashback right now because before Martha and I published the book, I was really worried about it because I'm so open about my mm. personal story. I was worried about being judged professionally. Mm. And I was probably even more worried about family members getting really angry with me for being that open about my my past, my my family dynamics. Mm. And you know, in fact, this is the first time I ever had a chance to work with Celine. But what she helped me realize was that underlying all the fear and anxiety around, you know, being open and sharing things about myself that I would never shared before was realizing that underneath all of it was my, my realization that my why for writing the book was way bigger than my fear. Mm. And I think about the, you know, the, what's the why I was in that unconscious wounded career path thinking where I was constantly interpreting the story through this lens of you're not good enough. The effect that it had on me in my life was I made choices, put all my energy into trying to get validated at work by my boss. And what that what that resulted in, which I regret to this day, and this is what I'm hoping to you know wake people up, just like you just said, mm. the realization was I spent so much time at work. When I wasn't at work, I was worried about work that I absolutely neglected my sons when they were growing up. Mm. I was not emotionally able to be present for them because of the needs that I had, the distorted beliefs that I had, and the energy that I was spent that I spent and was focused on at work. I can never take that back. Mm. And so to your point about waking up and realizing that we have a choice, we don't have to tell these stories to ourselves, but it's a journey. And I had to learn and, and a lot of the healing came over the last well, working with Martha in the creation of the book, really, really yeah. an amazing yeah. journey yeah. of realizing you don't have to live this this wounded path. You do not have to live it. Isn't it interesting how in just sharing your own story and you know, sort of publicly doing the work on yourself, you can help so many other people, but it helps you so yeah. much in the process, right? Um, you not kidding. I've been there. People, you know, I, you commented right before we started recording that you see a lot of my stuff on social media and then people will comment, like, I love all the stuff that you share. And I'm like, well, it's easy for me because I'm just sharing advice to myself. Every lesson that I've learned, everything that I needed to change. And I've just learned that if you have struggled with something, then there are going to be dozens of other people that struggle with the same thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. You're absolutely right. I just happen to be you know, a few steps down the path of realizing how much I, I was actually hurting myself. Right. I want to ask you about one more thing. I want to get to Ah. the keynote, which is on this topic, but on the topic of comparison and imposter syndrome, two of my favorite subjects I love talking to people about, I know I'm going to tell a story. I don't have all the facts, but I'm going to tell a story that you were moving up through your career accomplishing many things, probably crushing it at work in many cases, getting admiration of your bosses and promotions and going home every night and being really stressed out, drinking, putting pressure on yourself, thinking that you're not you know, measuring up. Meanwhile, all your colleagues are comparing themselves to you thinking she has it all figured out. Why is she so much better than <laughs> us? Right. And like, that's the way it goes in our world. Sometimes and it's like mind blowing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, I obviously didn't talk about any of this until, you know, I finished a manuscript and then partnered up with Martha to create the book. But yeah, no, I mean, I I was completely unconscious of how I was living my professional life and how much it was affecting my personal life. And, you know, 
I just kept, I was like a hamster on one of those wheels every single day. It was like the same thing, go run as hard as I can, you know, try to please as many people as possible that are in yeah. positions beside, you know, my, my value and my worth and my, my career path and go home exhausted. And, you know, yeah, nobody knew that it was completely, it was like, yeah. I was completely out of touch with how much that was affecting me. Right. And it's a reminder that I think we look at other people and think, well, they're doing well, they must have it all figured out. I'm the only one that's that's stressed out, right? When everybody is dealing with challenges, everybody has stuff going on, everybody has in their back, you know, things in their background, other complications in their life that we just don't know about. And they probably, frankly, could use your help, right? If you're willing to reach out and have a conversation. Yeah, it's amazing. As I've you know shared this message with so many people over the last several years, how many people open up to me about their yeah. underlying limiting beliefs? Yeah. And you know, super talented, very successful executives in many industries. Yeah. And you know, one one that jumps to mind is a friend of mine who's in a very senior level position, who underlying everything that he's done, all the accomplishments he's had was the belief that he couldn't do anything right. Mm. And that was a message away from his dad and how much that affected him in his career. He put, he was in a position where he literally was making life or death decisions based on the role that he was in and ultimately realized that he was living a life that he was exhausted by and ended up completely changing his life, completely changing his career. And, you know, starting to grapple with the underlying belief that was affecting him, which is, mm. I can't do anything right. You would never have known that by this, yeah. you know, who this person is. Right. So, and, I mean, the stories are endless. They're absolutely endless. <laughs> yeah. Which is all created by him, created by us, yep. right? These stories that we tell ourselves. Yep. Okay. So Susan, the yep. Talent Development Think Tank Conference is coming up in February, 2023 in Sonoma. You are going to be there as one of our Ooh. keynote speakers. I'm excited. I know you have a talk based around the book. Can you give us a little preview of what that Healing at Work keynote looks like? Yeah, I am so excited and I'm so thrilled to be partnering with you for this event. My Healing at Work keynote is a journey of understanding how much our past can influence how we are in the workplace. And what I basically do is take the, the participants, the listeners through a series of stories to demonstrate uh, some of the things that we've talked about today. But then what I do is I introduce this concept that you can actually use the workplace as a laboratory for emotional healing. It's kind of a mind-blowing concept because typically we think of the workplace as a place that just is stressful, yeah. toxic in some cases, depending on the company you put that stuff aside and just go to work, yeah. right? Yeah, I just, you know, just like you said, the imposter syndrome or the mask that we wear is, you know, mm -hmm. look at me, I'm fine. Don't don't worry. I'm not going to talk about things that aren't working for me. But I, I will take the audience through a series of stories that I think are very engaging, that are very clear, you know, how much that past can affect us. But then I introduce some tools and some different ways of starting to think about, well, how do you actually use the workplace as a laboratory for healing? So yeah, that's that's what I'm going to do. And I, I love it. I've done it with many audiences. I'm going to be sharing the message with some colleagues of mine in Israel here in a, about a week and a half. I'm very mm -hmm. excited about that. And so yeah, that that's it. Come it. in and understand how uh, how healing at work works. Yeah, I love that. And you know, based on what you know, you're not involved in organizing things and whatnot, but based on what you know of me, and the conference, you know, leading question for people listening that are thinking about it. I don't know if I can make it or if I want to come. Why should people come to the Talent Development Think Tank Conference? Well, Andy, you are a thought leader in this space. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoy following you. I'm, you know, really delighted to to be in partnership with you. 
in our work. So A, you do high quality work. You're great to work with. You've got amazing connections and, and people in, in your world of the talent space. And I'm excited to come and learn from the other speakers. I'm very excited about the people that you have on the agenda. I know it's going to be high energy. It's going to be super high quality. And I just think an amazing learning experience. So I, I'm going to be there the whole time. I can't wait. A lot of times I'll just come in and do the, my piece right. and then I leave. I'm staying because I want to learn from the people that you're bringing together. Uh, I love to hear that. And I'm excited for you to see some of the other speakers and sessions that we have planned. And, you know, all of our breakout sessions are going to be completely interactive, engaging. We kind of try to like change the game in conferences, you know, get rid of the, the boring death by PowerPoint lectures and all that sort of stuff. And oh, yeah. I know you're yeah. going to bring in the storytelling totally and the emotion. <laughs> That's And I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, We have some other great speakers lined up. It's just, I, I know it's going to be the best, least boring conference we're saying now in talent development. So I'm excited to have you there. I appreciate you coming back on the podcast to share. The book again is Healing at Work, a guide to using career conflicts to overcome your past and build the future you deserve. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you or get some of that, I know you have some other resources aligned with the book. I know you have a course, online course that's coming out soon. Where should they go? Probably the simplest place is just to type in healingatwork.com. That'll take you right to my core personal website. And there's quite a bit of information right there. You can, of course, find me on LinkedIn as well. Susan, Susan J. Schmidt, double T, no D, Winchester. Got it. All right, Susan, thank you again for coming on. I always love talking with you and I look forward to seeing you in February. Thank you, Andy. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. All right, that will do it for my conversation with Susan Schmidt, Winchester, CHRO of Applied Materials. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did. I always love talking with Susan. She has such great experience, wisdom, insights, and I cannot wait to have her speaking at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference in February. If you're listening to this before February and uh, you haven't gotten your tickets yet, come check us out. If it's after February or you can't make the conference, but you're still interested in joining our membership community, all the information is on our website at tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. Susan is speaking at our conference in February. She'll probably be speaking in our community sometime in 2023 as well. And we are just ramping up to provide tons of value to members of the talent development community, all about helping people achieve up their game and achieve their goals. And we'd love to have you come join us. So again, tdtt.us. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned. Next week, I'm bringing you another preview from one of our speakers, our session leaders at the Talent Development Think Tank Conference will be Larry McAllister on the power to transform HR. And that is a great conversation you don't want to miss. So I will talk to you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.